Uh, what intrigued you about this space? Wow. Uh, I start doing property. She's like, I want to do this on my own. I want to do this as a business. Let me talk to Julia. Mm -hmm. And they got rid of their blog and started this company together. And it just went off. I remember sweeping stairs and going to get rent checks. And I'm like, just muttering. And I hated it, to yeah. be honest. Because I was, I, it always felt like, it's like, why is he always taking me up? Hello, hello, hello. We are here with the one and only David Chinelli, as I like to call him, Top G. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> top guy, top guy in real estate, you know. He's out here, you know. As, um, how long have you been a real estate agent, David? Shit. Uh, I got licensed in 2015. 2015, yeah. Eh? yeah. Yeah, but I've owned rental properties for, for seven, a long Yeah, like, like 17 years, 18 years now. Mm -hmm. It's been a while. And over like the past couple of years since you started, you've like accumulated a, a lot of accolades. I think so. I think I've done all right. You've done all right for yourself. <laughs> I've done all right, yeah. For the audience, if you don't know David's accolades, you know, you are in the top 1% in transactions through 2012 to, to 2021, top 2% nationally in earnings, Royal Page. And I was almost top 1% last top year. Top 1%. Look at that. Yeah. You know, he's already like going off, right? Yeah. Uh, Red Diamond recipient from 2018 to 2021 and the Director's Platinum Award in 2017 and the President's Gold Award. Mm. Yeah, and last year, uh, I was actually top 10 in for Royal Page Agents mm -hmm. in Ontario, which mm -hmm. was, yeah, it doesn't pop up there too. And this year, they just came up with a new award, which our award bank, which is coming up. And uh, there's a new higher level over Red Diamond. And mm -hmm. I got that too. So yeah, like it's, well, I guess if you're not in real estate, you may not know what they are. You're just kind of like, okay, that's, mm -hmm. that's good. <laughs> so so before getting into you becoming an agent, right? Let's like rewind all the way back. I was like, uh, young guy coming up your parents your dad has been in the property game for some time mm -hmm. uh, what intrigued you about this space wow uh well to be honest with you it's like so you know their upbringing uh you know i used to always follow my dad around like i had to i had no choice i was the youngest of three boys mm -hmm. and my dad had owned rental properties and the reason why he started doing rental properties is my, my grandfather passed away at a young age yeah and about my my dad around the age of 20 realized you can make a lot of wealth through real estate so he started mm -hmm. buying real estate and as a kid, you don't realize why you have to go to your dad's properties and help mm -hmm. him with these, like, you know, you know, I remember sweeping stairs and going to get rent checks and I'm like just muttering and I hated it, to yeah. be honest with you, because I was, I, it always felt like, it's like, why is he always taking me on? My brothers obviously didn't want to go, right? Mm -hmm. So I kind of like didn't realize what I was doing, what what he was doing at the time. But throughout the process, you know, like uh, since a kid, I guess I started working with my dad a lot and then. I always had jobs in the summertime. Like I played hockey in, in throughout the Christmas, like there was sort of throughout the, the wintertime. And then summertime was my time to actually, my dad's like, you have to work. So mm -hmm. I had a ton of jobs. Uh, but it was funny because you're working for family members. Mm -hmm. You know, I was coaching hockey, doing this thing, sometimes getting paid cash. Yeah. It wasn't until I got my, you know, my big boy job <laughs> and I was an analyst that I realized how much the government takes in taxes. Yeah. This is what started because like, holy shit. Like it looks at my, my check. I'm mm -hmm. like, Where's all my money? Like you've been grinding and like, yeah, and I'm like, Robin, like <laughs> what, what the hell? What the hell? Exactly. And, and I remember going my brother at the time gave me a book called uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which oh, I think everybody, classic, yeah, classic, classic, book. classic book. And it was just kind of like put a spark in my head and I'm like, oh, shit, I'm like, this is what dad's been doing. Mm -hmm. Like, so no, I remember to my dad and I'm like, like I think I want to buy a rental property store. He goes, oh, now you want to learn, mm -hmm. eh? <laughs> so that kind of sparked it for me. So I bought my first rental property. And then after that, it was like, I, I didn't really, know how to handle. I was like kind of, I was kind of thrown into like by the fire, you know, like baptism by fire. There's a lot of, I don't know, like the property, I still own it to this day. It's mm -hmm. a sixplex in Roncesville. And it was shitty at the time. There's so many problems. I actually hated it. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, 
by the grace of God, in uh, 2008, we had a fire. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds terrible, right? Uh, but you got to eat off that fire. Well, that was the thing. Was, yeah. I was able to figure out, like, okay, at that point, it was like, I was able to figure out how to pull equity, how to uh, use equity to build brand, mm -hmm. um, fix all the issues that are with the property. And, and by presenting a better product, you get better tenants and you enjoy the process. Mm -hmm. So once I learned how to do that, and I had family members that are looking at it, and they're like, how did you do that? And I said, well, and I explained that. And I showed them how the equity works. And I guess now that there's all of these, you know, uh, there's acronyms, what do they call them? Acronyms of how you do this, you know, mm -hmm. basically you build, you buy it, you fix it, and then you pull equity to buy other properties. Well, I was doing that. Mm -hmm. And I helped other people do this. Yeah. But at the same time, having a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I was lining them up with, you know, realtors, lining them up with, uh, you know, with contractors, lining them up with banks and figuring out like, and I was helping people do that mm -hmm. while have, while being a treasury analyst at the time. And it wasn't like one of these things where you're like, oh, I, I need to be a realtor. I kind of thought about it here and there. I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing as an analyst because it really wasn't my passion. This became my passion. And which firm were you an analyst at? Uh, Toronto Hydro. Toronto Hydro, eh? Yeah. So straight out of school, like you're working at Toronto Hydro? After my MBA, yeah. But my MBA, pretty much, after my MBA, I started as a, working at Toronto Hydro. I was a, I was a billing analyst and a credit analyst. And then they moved me to the big company as a treasury analyst. So mm -hmm. I was there for like 10 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like when you're entering the analyst game, what was your ambition? Like, what were you looking at? I didn't know what to do with my life. You didn't know what to do with your life? I had no idea. So I was great at math like mm -hmm. i loved math i looked and i i had business so my my undergrad well, i went to play hockey university of wisconsin stevens point i got a scholarship up there and uh at first it was a math major and I, and business was my minor and then i switched them halfway through because i don't know for me like i could conceptualize 40 space it just mm -hmm. didn't make sense i i like numbers i love math like i love calculus yeah love calculus it was one of those things I just love but then when things were just getting too conceptual and just it wasn't math anymore mm -hmm. i didn't like the where business was right mm -hmm. and I, so yeah, so I, I kind of had my business degree. And then when I graduated, I, I was playing pro a little bit, bouncing around, didn't really work out. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do with my life. And this is like Wisconsin, do you want the Badgers? Like No, no, it was a Stevens Point Pointers. We're Division Three. Yeah. Division so, Three, okay. But the funny thing is, if you look recently, our Division Three school, they actually play the Badgers. They beat them because yeah. we're a smaller school, but our guys were awesome. But the like, talent is like, it's, oh, it's a match unreal. With the D1 guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the D3 schools, it's like we tend to be older guys. Mm -hmm. um, so I was 20 now. We had like, I was one of the younger guys on the team. And it was like, whereas, you know, the, the Badgers, they had like, you know, 18 guys. And they gave them like full scholarships. We were getting like partial scholarships that too. But they were young kids where we were like, man, I remember we had a 32-year-old sophomore my first year on our <laughs> team. And the guy had played pro. Like this guy was legit. Yeah. Our first two lines were all like, you know, guys like myself either had D1 scholarships that didn't take them or were in a D1 school. Mm -hmm. And then they came down and ended up playing with us. And we played at smaller rinks, which just, but your men, it was just like, it was hardcore. It was like our junior teams. It was like, I mean, we watched the, the D1 schools. It's a little yeah. more finesse where we were just like, you know, in the corners. Dogs, oh, it was awesome. But yeah. <laughs> like, did you guys have like exhibition matches with like the, the D1 guys? They wouldn't play us at the time, but, mm -hmm. that, but recently they have been playing yeah. against each other. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So like when you're playing hockey at the time, right? So you get your degree, you become, you, you, you're playing hockey in uni. Did you think about playing pro or yeah. like, was like a pro at what level, like the NHL? No, so NHLs, it is so hard. It is How so hard to make an NHL. Well, people think about like making the shows like super easy because you see kids getting drafted and you're like, man, I'm better. Well, than I was drafted kid. in the OHL. I didn't, yeah. make, I didn't get drafted in the NHL. So I was, uh, put it this way, I was, me and my goalie partner probably one of the top two goalies in Ontario. Mm -hmm. We both got drafted into the OHL and stuff. And it's like, and we had like, we had our, I think our, our AAA team, which is our club team. Yeah. We had the most kids drafted 
out of out of any team out of those mm-hmm. that year. Only one of our guys made the NHL, and he was like barely played. You know, like I played when I played juniors at St. Mike's. Steve Monitor had made it there, uh, Rob Davidson, but like we were. There was only two guys in the whole league that were like were actually played or like long term in the NHL. Like it's, it is so hard. So I'm saying, so even from like myself, we were top goalies in Ontario, and we're like, we didn't even. I didn't even like I, I had one practice with the Leafs, right? Yeah. For example, like it wasn't even that. So my act, like all I wanted to do was play one year pro. Mm-hmm. So when I was playing school, uh, when I was done school, like what I did, we went to uh, we went to Europe. I tried to get my Italian citizenship, and uh, we went on this tournament. We were played. I played 13, 14 games. I had two Italian teams were going to sign me. Mm-hmm. But there's a certain amount of import cards that they can get. And, mm-hmm. and um, I wasn't an importer. They just said, well, if you get your Italian citizenship, you can play. We won. And mm-hmm. it, I, at the time, the Italian consulate was just not giving it to us. And they just weren't uh, mm-hmm. being very nice to, in a nice way to say mm-hmm. to my parents. Uh, I came back. I had a tryout with uh, Odessa Jackalopes, which is one of the farm teams of the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. And then we only had really one exhibition games. But again, it's kind of like in those levels, it's kind of like the CFL here. You need mm-hmm. a certain amount of Canadians. Well, mm-hmm. there you need a certain amount of Americans. Yeah. And I remember the coach at the time, which we recruited me here to play in Waterloo. He's like, did you get married when you're in, in Wisconsin? I said, no, why? He's like, you have a better chance of making the team. If you did, we need Americans. And you're going to be a backup goalie. So yeah, our, our starting goalie is Canadian. So it's yeah. like the quota was the quota. Anyway, long story short, we all we played an exhibition game. I was the only one who got a shout out. I got an assist. Mm-hmm. And I got released the next day. <laughs> <laughs> and then That's again, sad. it just, and then I played again. I I, I signed with another team, which, which was uh uh, one of the Hershey Bears, uh, so basically Avalanche's farm teams. It was yeah. uh, Quad City Mallards. I went there as an emergency goalie for a few games and then mm. didn't get a play and they came back and then they signed to give it the Dustin Jacobs. And I was like, screw this. I'm going back mm. to school. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like as every athlete, right, we have certain plays we always remember. Uh, as I played basketball, like my entire life, there's like certain plays, certain games that you just elevate into a certain state of flow, like where yeah. everything is hitting, like even you just have an out-of-body experience and your performance level just rises at a different level. So when you're playing, what is like one game where you had this clutch save, which is either like a mm. game-stopping save or something like where you just showed off like some acrobatics or you just had to like dive over and... There's yeah. been so many of them. I remember this one in university. It still comes to say we are playing against Superior, which was uh, University of Wisconsin Superior, where I was a three unknown. I... The guy passed across the thing and they're like this and i just slid across and i made those two pad stack and i still remember it that was like unbelievable mm-hmm. but what really sticks in my mind believe it or not we were uh was when i was what grade eight mm-hmm. and we were in uh, the quebec peewee tournament <laughs> <laughs> and it was when we were up like we were playing and so back in this is the colisee so it's the, the the, uh, the Nordiques. Mm-hmm. So the Quebec Nordiques, like every year they do in, in, in Quebec City, they do like this huge, they call it a peewee tournament. Yeah. And it was one of those games where we were up 4 nothing right in the first period. Then they, these guys crawled back, crawled back, right? So it was 4-4. So what they did in this tournament was, and you're playing against this, like I was a 13-year-old kid, mm-hmm. and you're playing in a packed stadium. Like everybody's watching. And because the game went longer, mm-hmm. all the other teams were watching. No and every the game was going longer. So yeah. they did an overtime like we've never seen before. They started 5-on-5, five five, mm-hmm. then they went 4-on-4. Four three on three, mm-hmm. two on two, one on one. And it was like, you know, sudden death, right? So yeah. we had the goalie just battling. It was an awesome game. And then we did shootouts. And then I shut them all out in the shootout. So I, I, we, and our last player, his name was Suad, went down deep and we scored and we all just rushed. It's just, the whole stadium erupted. And I, mm-hmm. that's when I was 13 years old. And you still, and you remember, still remember, it. still remember it. Man, it's funny, like when you're younger too, like you remember like all of these, even though it's, it might not be the top level. It might not be your Wisconsin days, your pro days, but just the thrill you get from that feeling of like, damn, that was a great 
yeah. memory. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because I think when we get into sports, we play for these type of feelings. We play yeah. for these... Play for the love. We play for the love of the game, right? Yeah. But as you, as you evolve, right, it becomes very political, bureaucratic. Like, oh, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, you, like, I like this guy better. Uh, we drafted him higher, so we're going to keep him, even though you're better than this other guy, right? And this is what happened to you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it pissed so. me off. Yeah, it was in the, you know, when I was, wherever the, the, I was talking about the Jackalopes, mm-hmm. we had that, that game, and I was like, we're playing against another team. These guys were monsters. These mm-hmm. goalies were like six, I'm like, I'm 5'10, five, 5'11 five, ish, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I was like, and I won on the other side. I'm like, holy shit, these guys are like 6'8. They're like, mm-hmm. and they, I remember telling you the story that early off air, we were saying, like, yeah, they're like, yeah, good luck trying to make it any teams, like, with these guys. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, both these guys are imports. They were drafted. I think one guy was Russian. I forget what the other guy was. And they're like, mm-hmm. the company, the, the team has spent so much money on these guys. Mm-hmm. You can't crack the lineup. They've mm-hmm. they've put the investment in there. You can be way better than them. It's not going to matter. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit. I never thought of it that way. You know? yeah. So yeah, it was big business. So you played hockey. When did you realize it was uh, time for you to wrap it up? Well, when... There's no real places for you left to play anymore, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, it was, it was, I could have kept grinding, I guess, and playing, but it was, it was pretty much there when I, my last university, I ripped my groin really bad and it took me a while to get back. And it was when I realized too, when I, when I played with the Dessa and I was mm-hmm. I got the shadows get released and then, and the goal, then the coaches would come back to me saying, has nothing to do with your ability at mm-hmm. this point. That's why I was just like, this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm better, I should be playing. I should, you should hire me. Like it has nothing to do with that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, the love was gone. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, I'm like, Excuse my language, but fuck this, I'm done. Yeah. So you say, fuck this, you're done. You did your MBA. Yeah. Right. Which I almost made the team there too. It was funny because I, like, I would try to get my red shirt. I was on all Mori for about a, a month or something like that. They try to get my red shirt because I had pulled my groin so bad. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but they were, I was, I'm, so I almost got the love back for like a season. <laughs> <laughs> but then after I'm like, I'm hanging up the skates. Yeah. It's a wrap. So, you know, it's interesting, right? Because you go, you were in, you did business school, right? In America. You come back to Canada. You're yep. like, I'm going to do my MBA. There's this thing about business school and MBA, which is like, is it is it like a double dip? Do you get an advantage of having an MBA? Yeah. What was your insight looking back then to be like, like why did you do an MBA? Why, yeah, why are you doing an MBA? Because I was lost. You were lost. I was lost. Yeah. Um, it's funny because you go through life and stuff too. And I was always like, listen, I'm a good student. Mm-hmm. I've always been a pretty good student. And, and, and my brother always laughs when he goes, he hates me because they like, you know, we at the end like a high school, like we went to St. Mike's and mm-hmm. he'd sit in his room studying for five hours and I'd go and play video games. We mm-hmm. got pretty similar grades and he was just pissed off. He goes, and then you go play hockey and then you still play, you do good that. And I'm like, so the problem with me was, was like, I was good at most things I did. And it was, I just didn't know what the passion was mm-hmm. really. Just, it was, I was trying to figure out what to do. So when the hockey thing didn't like, I thought within that year playing hockey, I could have figured out what I wanted to do in that time. And it just, nothing came back. So I came back and I was coaching as a goalie coach and that sucked. And what year was this? Uh, 2003. 2003. Yeah, okay. 2002, 2003. And it was like, shit, man. It was like, it was like, you know, I, I'd wake up and everyone was already gone to work. And then you're mm-hmm. working late nights. You come home and there's just like shit. My, my girlfriend now wife at the time like mm-hmm. well, she broke she didn't last very long she, she was like f you i'm out of here like it was so bad like it was just you're, you're constantly going i was like i didn't know what to do with my life so it's like my dad basically sat me down and he's like okay he goes uh we hate this <laughs> i was like what do you mean he goes i don't see you he goes is this the life you want i said yeah. well no he goes well he goes either you go back to school or start paying me room and board and i was mm-hmm. like okay what am i gonna do and i talked to my brother and i'm like 
at the time he was at uh, Waterloo. He's like, we had a house there. My dad had bought a house as an investment property mm -hmm. and my brother was going to be moving back in. He goes, come live with me. Let's go mm -hmm. do your MBA. And what's the age difference between you and your We're two years apart. He's older or are you younger? I'm the baby of the family. You're yeah. the baby of the family. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any other siblings? Uh, so I have an oldest brother. So yeah. he's six years older. My, so that's Frank. My brother, Mike, uh, he's two years older than myself. Mm. Yeah. And what do they do? So my brother, Frank, is uh, he's a hairdresser. Actually works down the street here. Like, with salon. So he's the one who cuts your hair. No, I get one of his workers to cut my hair. It's just, it's, my dad learned at a very young age. My dad was hairdresser too. It's just like, you know, just too many fights. Cause you know, <laughs> too many fights. So at least with the worker, it's like, there's a separation there. Yeah. Uh, but I go to his salon, yeah, to do that. And then um, my, my other brother is a professor at Laurier now. Mm. He went from, yeah. So he's, uh, he has so a PhD guy and everything like that. Is he sorry? He's a PhD. Yeah, he had his PhD. Yeah. So yeah. between the two of us, we have like five degrees. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, but he was like, he loves school. Your possums be proud. He was, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was, we were one of the families that like we did all right. My oldest brother did, wasn't as good in school, so he didn't like he did the other route, like you know, mm -hmm. do more of your hands-on job. But yeah, yeah, our families, yeah, I guess they're proud if you like those. The, I mean, those letters behind your name, I guess. I mean, like you know, someone like me, right? Like I come from an African household, right? So immigrating to Canada, it's like education is paramount, right? Yeah. To get MBA, you become a doctor, become a lawyer. Like this is what's deemed a success. So for in your time background, right? right. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know how the cultural difference works there. Like no, it worked the same way. But it was funny though when I got my my job, uh, and I was like, so when I was became the the treasury analyst, mm -hmm. I remember coming home one day, and we had just bought a house, and my dad looked at me, and he's like, "We're getting ready." He goes, "What the fuck are you doing?" Mm -hmm. So, what do you mean? He goes, "Why are you working for somebody else?" Mm. Like, what? I'm like. He goes, yeah, I sent you to school to learn. But he goes, it wasn't to learn to, to work for somebody else and be a slave to somebody else. I was like, whoa, well, what's, where's this come from? Like, mm. I thought the time. He just kind of ambushed you. Oh, yeah, I just kind of ambushed you. I'm like, what would you think it was when you doing like work? That, that's what they do. Like that's mm. school teaches you how to be a good employee, work the ladder. Like mm. that's the job. Although when I did my MBA, I did a great entrepreneurship course, mm -hmm. which was I highly recommend anybody mm -hmm. taking. Like, believe it or not, there is there is courses that actually teach you how to be an yeah. entrepreneur. But, uh, but yeah, it was just kind of took me off guard yeah mm -hmm. but it was but he goes yeah i wanted you to have the degrees because we always wanted you to go to school but he goes i wanted you to be a free thinker and think for yourself so it was funny it was like it just hits you like raw and yeah with it. my dad was like that yeah you know like again he's passed away what he in 2014 he passed away right mm -hmm. before i got my license and it was that's a whole other story but uh but that's what he was like if he if he didn't if he thought you were gaining weight he goes why are you getting so fat <laughs> come in right and i just he'd be one of those guys you know you look at you like my my cousin always says if you come in you burn a shirt he's like Oh, like that shirt yeah. looks like shit on you. He would yeah. just tell you, that's it. Like that's flat out mm -hmm. what he was like. Mm -hmm. I got a lot of similar traits. I, I think I, I'm a little easier when it comes to that. I'm, I'm not as, you know, blunt, but mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I am. You're diplomatic. I try to be a little more diplomatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I try. Like, <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that much. I've noticed about you. Like you've reached the point, but you can also just like coat it a little bit. You know, it sounds nice. I like to massage it a little bit nicer. Yeah, yeah. it's a sandwich. <laughs> yes. It's a good sandwich. Yeah. So you do your MBA. Um, you go to straight to Hydro One. Toronto Hydro. Toronto Hydro. Two different companies. Oh, yeah. I was confused though. So Toronto Hydro is basically, it's, it's kind of owned by the city. It's like mm -hmm. a, so the city, we have to give, it is an independent company, mm -hmm. but it's a monopoly in the city. So basically, mm -hmm. if you, anytime you're getting power from the city of Toronto, it, mm -hmm. com it comes from Toronto Hydro. Mm -hmm. Hydro One is uh, Ontario. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, it's in there. It's just a different company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It still works a little bit differently. Yeah. So Toronto Hydro doesn't actually generate any of their own electricity. They buy it off the grid. And, yeah. You know. Okay, cool. Yeah. So moving on from, because early on we spoke about you actually, you know, educating people as an analyst and what to do and everything. Mm -hmm. 
So now we're getting into the agent world. Now you're becoming like David Chanelli that we know today, you know? So I'm curious, right, as an agent, right? What was the first, describe the first feeling of closing your first ever deal, right? Everybody, yeah, like there's a first for everybody. And yeah. what was that feeling like for you? My, my first deal was actually a lease. It was a lease. <laughs> it was a lease. Um, yeah, and I was kind of scared shitless a little bit. I was kind of showing this girl around and I was like pretending as if like I was the man, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, and she's like, oh yeah, you've been doing this so long. And I'm like, oh, I'm like scared, you know, but I was like, but I, was, I didn't know how to do any of the paperwork. I didn't know like <laughs> what anything uh, kind of like, it was, it was actually kind of scary that kind yeah. of, and I, I'm like, and I, call, I remember calling the office and it's like, why am I not getting paid? They're like, what are you talking about? You didn't pay like paperwork. I'm like, oh shit, I got to hand in all this. Like, mm-hmm. so that was kind of, that was kind of the first experience I kind of had. And then I kind of got the grips. So the next deal was actually the first, well, I would consider that maybe is my first deal because mm-hmm. I listed a property and, um, I got to double end the property. Mm-hmm. So I got to be both the buying and the selling agents. So I got both. So I made more money and I was like, wow. And I like, I never knew how much realtors made. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. Like, so even doing the courses up too. So I had no idea. Like even throwing numbers up too. So like afterwards, because I when I double ended this deal, and I was mm-hmm. like, I had to massage on both sides because it was actually it was my cousin's, mm-hmm. uh, it was his wife's. Actually, they were married at the time, right? But it was her. Were they married? I can't remember at the time. No, uh, yeah, they might have just got married. So it was like her property. So I mm-hmm. had to make sure, you know, you keep that relationship, but the, it's a family relationship, but it's a business relationship. Yeah. And then on the other side, you have a stranger too, and it's like, but you also have to teach treat them like you know obviously like as a client that you're not screwing them over because we can get sued if you like if you're if you're not careful right yeah. on both sides if you screw up the deal yeah so a little bit nerve-wracking i remember going and we were going away vacation i'm like doing stuff on the computer and i'm like oh, shit did i do this right did i do that right and then you double-ended the deal and then like and at the end they looked at it and i calculated the money and i was like huh that's that's, that's, that's some good that's change not, that's, that's not bad yeah <laughs> yeah i was like I, like again, I, did, I had no idea what realtors made. It wasn't my motivation for doing this. I just wanted to help people. And yeah. then afterwards, and I said, and after deals, and I was putting in the deal sheet, I was mm. like, oh, actually, I did all right mm. on this one. So that that was kind of like the good feeling, like, oh, okay, mm. okay, okay. It's like a light bulb went on in my head. So for the audience, right? Could you describe what like double ending a deal is? Yeah. So double ending a deal is. Um, when you when a realtor says I've double ended a deal, it means they both represent both the buying side and and the seller side. Mm-hmm. So you get more of a commission because you are representing both sides. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what we say double ending a deal. Mm-hmm. That okay. makes sense. Definitely makes sense. And what year was this again? You mentioned uh, twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. So one thing I've noticed about you, right? Social media is a big part of your brand, right? It's you know you've been like a host on HDTV. Right. Uh, you have like AK followers. Um, when did you realize that social media is going to be a big part of like how you do business? Before I was a realtor, basically, um, it started there, too, because even when I was back in the day. So this tells you how old I am. <laughs> when I was working at Hydro. It's like OG talks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, we're, like before I was a, a realtor, like we, we had this thing called Facebook. Yeah. Do you guys know what Facebook is? <laughs> it's very, very archaic. <laughs> so, but back then there wasn't any bans on, yeah. you know, when you can work social media. So I remember being at my cubicle mm-hmm. and we we're all on Facebook and other stuff too. That was normal. And I remember posting, I remember seeing people all the time. They're like, man, you post a lot. You talk mm-hmm. a lot on social media. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah. So I, so I kind of carried, I kind of thought that was a niche. So when I was bringing it over, when I first started real, uh, real estate, I didn't do it as much as I didn't think. I started posting things here. I was still posting stuff, mm-hmm. but I started getting some good feedback from that. And then the brokerage I'm in there too, like they started pumping social media too. And I was like, oh shit, mm-hmm. I can do this for work. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of made, like that was like solidified. I'm like, 
oh, mm. I'm like, it's not just fun anymore. So mm. I changed like changed the dynamic. I was like, yeah. So that like, I just started doing it right away. And I just mm. thought it was a way for me to differentiate myself from other people. Mm, yeah. Um, how did you build that personal brand? Um, like as David Chanel, you like. Uh, so the one thing I realized in the beginning was that you can't be like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Like it was, that was the one thing. So that started the building the brand. And like, I think a lot of people knew who I was and stuff mm -hmm. too. And I just, I just started just being myself. You know, mm -hmm. I think that helped to build a brand, start showing my family, my kids and showing the struggles mm -hmm. we go through and all that stuff. I, that was, I think the personal side of it. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at the side that's like, you know, I didn't pay for followers on too. I, I've had the same amount of followers number like in the years. And it's like, you stick with them because I've. I started giving them value for what I was doing. And I think that started to build the brand. Mm -hmm. And I would go somewhere with my wife and we would just be like, I can remember going to Homesets is just doing a live feed and people asking questions and stuff too. And they're like, yeah, what do I do? Like, where are you guys? When do this stuff? Mm -hmm. And then when I started doing open houses, I'm like, well, why don't I just start doing live feeds? Now that's when Instagram, mm -hmm. which you guys know Instagram now. Um, that's why I started doing things. And I was like, that's kind of where the brand started. Yeah. And then I had a I had a tenant that uh, helped me with my DC logo. He mm -hmm. did the DC, and then I added the circle afterwards. And I I started branding things here and there because I thought it was like I, I liked it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? My kids laugh at me because my brand's everywhere. Like the only thing I probably don't have is underwear, which is probably coming soon. Um, I but, mean, we were we were at your events last weekend. Like everything was DC branded: the gloves, the coffee, the everything, everything yeah. DC. <laughs> I put it on every. My kids are just so annoyed with me how much I brand myself. Like yeah. brand, I'm like, why do you put your DC on everything? I'm mm. like, because it's a cool it's logo. A, it's, a cool and logo. it's like, yeah, man. It's, it's like, but people know I won't do my car. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I'm like, it just, I just, I think a, a Porsche does not need a, a DC logo on it. That's in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, it's just not. <laughs> I mean, happen. it's a Porsche. You know, you can't, you can't put anything. You gotta leave it as it is. Yeah, I think it speaks its for itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned one key thing, right? Your wife is going with you everywhere, right? I know she's big she into she was so let's go back here because early on you guys were dating like rat, like during your uni days oh even before that yeah even before that right yeah yeah because then she works with you because like she also helps you stage properties well yeah but she's got her own business now because mm -hmm. it started through this right mm -hmm. so um like how far back can you want to go back because we started yeah. dating in in high school and i actually met her in grade seven i i met my wife i was in grade eight and she was in grade seven in my buddy chris grant's uh, basement we basement met. we met we it was had like a birthday a party or it something. was a party that's right <laughs> i had a dance i remember and then didn't talk to her for after that and then uh we have a good friend of ours named marco capizano he uh he was uh he stayed friends with her sister like yeah. all the time because they, they all went to high school they all went to elementary school together mm -hmm. and he ended up coming to my high school in oac and then we were sitting in class one day so what'd you do he goes oh do you remember her name is nicole do you remember nicole i said of course i'm like what's your sister doing tell her to give me a call mm -hmm. A month later, she calls me, and then we started dating for a couple of years. I went away to university, mm -hmm. uh, so we in you know, Wisconsin. We broke up. She says it was an ass, but anyway, it's probably mm -hmm. true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we got back together for about eight months, and it was just that's where the whole thing about bouncing around for pro, not knowing mm -hmm. what you're doing with your life, uh, that can really mess a relationship up because it's mm -hmm. if you don't, if you really don't know what you you're doing for yourself, and you don't know what your self worth is. It's really hard to carry a relationship and also having them there too, because you don't know yourself who mm -hmm. you are. The people around you also suffer too, because mm -hmm. I it's it's hard to keep a fake persona. And I'm not good at keeping a fake persona. I just never did that. And it crumbled like mm -hmm. eight months later. She, she never wanted to talk to me again. Mm -hmm. It was that's how bad it got. It was wow. bad. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, and then unfortunately, my brother Mike, uh, my the middle brother, he got leukemia about mm. I remember supposed to go to school with him. Sorry, go to school with him. And he ended up getting sick. And then I had to call her. And I was like, I know you don't want to talk to me, but my brother's sick. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted you to hear from me. And then, uh, then my dad got sick. So about a month or two later, I had to call her again. Mm-hmm. And then we just started talking slightly. And then next thing, fast forward, we had boy, wife and girls about three years later Then we, we started dating again. Mm-hmm. And then I got, we got married. And then, so there's a lot of stuff in between. But when I started real estate, um, she had a photography business and was good, but always had an eye. And it pissed me off that every time I come home, like she was always changing her house. Mm. Shit, man. It was like everything. Every time I come in, she says, you know, I was thinking, I'm like, fuck, how much is this going to cost me? I'm like, what are you changing in my what house I need now? Again? Yeah. What are you changing? And it was like, and literally she would change. I come in and she's like, so I said to her, I'm like, I'm not doing this shit anymore. I'm not painting any walls. I'm not hanging any pictures. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not putting together any furniture mm-hmm. anymore. Like that's, that's a whole other story when my little one was born. My first one was born, like her and her mom, because we were fighting. And, um, uh, she got really good at changing because she has a really good eye, like a fantastic eye. And that's why she started to have her own photography business. But she's just kind of getting bored with it. Mm-hmm. So when I got my license, I thought my competitive advantage was is that my wife made properties look beautiful. Mm-hmm. So my competitive advantage was I have the stager in my back pocket. Mm-hmm. I never told people in the beginning it was my wife, but I brought her in. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she liked it. We started buying some furniture. She had an idea about doing some staging, and but she couldn't do it on her own. Mm-hmm. And we lived, uh, we had some good friends next door that her and my wife had a blog together as well. My wife would take pictures of it. They would do a blog. And she ended up moving to the East End. And a couple of times, uh, her name is Julia. Julia ended up uh, coming to see my properties, help me out because Natalie couldn't make it. My wife couldn't make it. And they just kind of like were on the same wavelength. So mm-hmm. when I was saying Natalie started buying furniture, I'm like, I need you to start doing properties. She's like, I want to do this on my own. I want to do this as a business. Let me talk to Julia. Mm-hmm. And they got rid of their blog and started this company together. Mm-hmm. And it just went off. Skyrocketed. So they no longer, like to me, like I, I'm like one of their small clients now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like so heard their business has gone through the roof. And it's mm-hmm. done like she has some really big players as, mm-hmm. as a realtors that she does the staging business for. And mm-hmm. it's good because it's not just me. Mm-hmm. The advantage I have is that when it comes to her is that I have her assistance and stuff too. So she still comes, walks the property, gives me like an assessment of what needs to be done. We give our clients a good list. So when you're selling a house, one of the things you want to do is always present the best possible version of your home. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that? You have an outside source that mm-hmm. does this on a daily basis mm-hmm. that can maximize the, the best version of your property. Mm-hmm. And that's what she does. She comes mm-hmm. in, we get a laundry list and we give the clients, no, sometimes the clients don't choose everything they do on there. But I'm like, if you want to sell your house for a top dollar, mm-hmm. here's the list. And mm-hmm. she does that. And if, so the, the advantage I have as well for my clients is I pass on my savings because I own a lot of my furniture. Mm-hmm. All like most of the stuff, the staging furniture, I have a mm-hmm. warehouse for myself. So Natalie will come through. My wife will go through. She'll show the property and she'll give us a laundry list. And a lot of times she'll like, she'll talk to her assistant. And they're like, and so assistant's like my assistant. So I, she goes, okay, uh, is going to come or, or the other assistant. And she's going to set up your property the way that I set it up. Yeah. So staging is like a interesting part of like the business, right? Um, what I want to understand is like the economics behind staging. So you have the, the you're the realtor, mm-hmm. the stager, you have someone who's selling the home, or they could be leasing their condo and they need someone to stage it to look nice. Who's buying the furniture? Who's paying the cost? Is it coming out of your pocket since you're the realtor and you're trying to close the deal? So mm-hmm. you want to make it look good. Mm-hmm. Walk us through the numbers of like if any real estate agent is starting out, like you have a team of agents under you right now, how can they get that advantage of having, okay, I have a right. stager right now. So, so it all depends. Yeah. yeah, to be honest with you, it depends. 
it all depends on how much money you have and how much mm -hmm. strategy you have and how much time and effort, right? So for my clients, mm -hmm. I cover my staging costs at least two months usually. Mm -hmm. Because I've paid for the furniture, mm -hmm. because I got warehouse, because I've been successful doing this, and that's my competitive advantage. I don't charge more. Like, listen, from what I charge, it's all included. I tell I tell my clients, here's the amount. This is the regular mill. I don't charge. Some of my colleagues are charging 2% higher than I'm charging. Mm -hmm. Someone will charge less and they'll say, but you have to pay for your own staging costs. But then, so the reason why I don't do that, I don't charge more than I'm charging. I think we can make. I think we make well in our, our percentages. I think yeah. we do well. And I don't want to hammer my clients. I want them to feel that they, they're getting value for the property. Mm -hmm. I don't also ask them to, to pay for the stager because you're paying money up front you may not have. And now you're also, if the house doesn't sell, you know, then you're out of pocket. Mm -hmm. So I ease my clients and I say, I take care of the staging property. I take care of everything. You only pay for me when the house sells, mm -hmm. but we need to work together. So, what does that mean? That means it's like so we get a good offer. Red offers into you're not just going to back away from it because it's like we want to sell the house. Like this mm -hmm. is your again. I don't I don't hire guys who just want to put an offer because they want to have it mm -hmm. where the house is worth a million dollars. They don't mm -hmm. want to just say, well, my my house up for three million dollars. <laughs> I don't hire you because if like, if you're not realistic with your price, mm -hmm. that means you're just wasting my time and mm -hmm. my money. Mm -hmm. So my clients know that that like I'm putting a lot of my heart and soul and my hard earned money to sell this home. Mm -hmm that sell this home. So that's what I do. Like it, it, staging is a big business. Mm -hmm. Now, not everybody does it. It all depends on your strategy. Mm -hmm. I also, other other agents will do like a two, three tiered system. Mm -hmm. And reality, the reason why we do three systems, they do that is like, they don't want, the, they want a higher interest rate. They're like, okay, if you're going to pay 3% higher than that, sure, I'll take it. I'll take yeah. it over there. So they don't want you. They want you to take the middle one, mm -hmm. which is the regular stuff. And they're, and they're giving, they're offering you less. But if you look at three different packages, it looks like the middle one is the best value. Yeah. In reality, if you look at what I do, and I always tell people, interview other agents, interview them. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, I'm confident in what I do. And I'm like, and where's the value? It's like, too, they're not giving you value. They're giving you like, they're kind of tricking you mm -hmm. in that kind of sense, too. So I find it's, yeah, so the staging part is a huge proper. Uh, process and and I think every house needs to do it and I cover the cost so it takes so it eases my client's mind. Yeah. Why do we stage? Well, I want to present the best possible foot forward. Mm -hmm. It allows me to have better pictures, better videos. It allows me to use my social media. Mm -hmm. Allows me to do my job. Yeah. And to maximize the amount of money you're going to get in return. Mm -hmm. If I control everything mm -hmm. up until that point, so if I control what the house looks like from the beginning and it looks amazing. Now I control the videos. I'm like, I, now I pay for advertisement like on social media. It's not good enough just to post on social mm -hmm. media. You pay for advertisement, put in front of everybody, right? Too. If the home is not selling, there's only one variable why it's not selling. What's that? Price. Price. Yeah. Well, how does price affect that? Well, because if you're if you're up a pie in the sky price, no one's going to come see your house. Because mm. <laughs> <laughs> that. what happens is like. If the market value, so I, and that's why we, it's very important now to be listing your home at what the value of the property is pretty close to the, what the value is. Mm -hmm. In the past, when we were, so I would say when I was a kid, so before you were born, uh, you know, <laughs> agents used to list a house in like two, 300,000 above and just like, oh, we will negotiate down. Mm. That was the mentality. That no longer works. Mm. There's the, the buyers in today's market are so smart. Now they have all the tools in their hands. They know what other houses have sold for. They know what, what other properties are available. 
So you're not pulling the wool, uh, the wool over anybody's eyes. Mm -hmm. So if you're coming, if I give you a, a competitive market uh, analysis, a CMA, mm -hmm. we call it, and I show you what houses I've sold for, and I show mm -hmm. you what your competition's doing, and you still want to go above that, mm -hmm. your home's not going to get any showings mm -hmm. because people are going to look at the house that looks nice, but, you know, they're going to be unrealistic when it comes to the negotiation table. Like, look at their price. They're like, mm -hmm. they're out of whack. They're not, so they're not going to budge. Like, why would I even, why would I even waste my time to go look at this property if their evaluation is that far of whack? Mm -hmm. They're, they're, they're heads in the sky. It's yeah. just not going to work. So you're actually deterring people away from even coming to the property. And then there's actually the price point, mm -hmm. the way that, you know, that our systems work, whether it's, you know, our MLS system or it's in your phone, if you're using like a house signal or realtor.ca, like mm -hmm. you put a certain price in there and that's when you get alerts on. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're too high, you're not getting that alert. Even yeah. something as simple as like, you're enlisted at 999, or if you listed a million dollars, well, you should listen at 999, 999 for a couple of reasons because it's under the million dollars. Now you're capturing a whole different audience. Mm -hmm. So even being smart about what numbers you put on there matters. Mm. There's so much psychological aspects of the number where that where it comes in. It's not just simply like, wow, I think it's worth this. Yeah. Is there a time you've ever had a client and you've had to talk them out of a price? Oh, yeah. And how did that work out for you? In my earlier career, I would, uh, I had this one client. I was like, and it was it was family friend, and you know we were like, I told him about the value, like I showed him the valuation, and you know I wanted the business, mm -hmm. and they're like, that's nice. We want to list it two hundred thousand dollars more than I'm like, what a number? Like that's what we want. I said okay. So I listed that property. I'm like okay, but I'll, on one condition, if it doesn't, we get no showings, mm -hmm. none of the activity the next two weeks. We got to lower the price that I want. Mm -hmm. What happened was after two weeks we didn't get any showings. They went answer my call. And so I, just like, and I was, yeah, I was like chasing them for like three, but finally we got the price after veg. I, I tried firing them a couple of times. Yeah. I just started walking away because it wasted my time and my money. Mm -hmm. And eventually we got the price where one and then I ended double ending a deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's happened before. More recently, I've said no to people. Like literally I've said like in the last time, I'm like, cause it take, it cost me thousands of dollars to list a property. Mm -hmm. Like, listen, I, I'm not a charity, you know, if it's going to cost me four or $5,000 to list your home, and you're going to have your evaluation is going to be 300,000 over asking and you're not going to budge because you don't want that price. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm just, I'm literally paying for you to, to show your house and mm -hmm. take nice pictures. It's, yeah. I just, I, I've honestly said to that person, if you're not realistic with your price, I can't help you. Mm. Do you walk them through like a methodology of like, Hey, I know you want a 200 K above, but you know what? After I input this, 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 and that, it's actually, you should price it at this. Is there like a 100%. breakdown? What does that breakdown look like? Well, that's what it's, so we have a tool in our, in our, in our MLS system, which mm -hmm. I use. Some of it's, it's, it's kind of arbitrary what numbers are, but yeah. they kind of, you know, be, being in a market, what things are worth. Like, for example, like if you're looking at a three bedroom to a four bedroom, mm -hmm. in for example, in Etobicoke, that extra bedroom is worth about a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars. If you're going to somewhere like a Brampton or if you're going to like say Miss Huggins, less it's around anywhere from 50 to seventy-five thousand dollars depending on the neighborhood mm -hmm. then there's also square footage so we and so in our my analysis you can see my breakdown where i'm getting the numbers mm -hmm. i'm not just pulling numbers out because i like out of the sky <laughs> like it's just like yeah, yeah I like well, it, you, you know, know i you know I can, I can get your extra 50k it doesn't work like that yeah it doesn't work that yeah. way now there's different strategy we use it's obviously like they're what was working before is obviously listing prices low and then holding offers and like which ne doesn't necessarily work anywhere in this type of market where, mm -hmm. where it's a it's more of a balanced market, leaning mm -hmm. towards more of a buyer's market. Uh, but there's still things that I would do that helps you get maximum dollar. One of the things we do, home inspection. I pay for a home inspection. Again, mm -hmm. not out of your pocket. Because I do a home inspection because mm -hmm. when I'm listing a property, because 
I want to make sure that, A, that there's no major problems with the home. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is like, I, when I get an offer, I want to have as clean as clean means like no conditions. Like I don't want a home inspection condition. You can bring the home inspection. I get a reputable home inspector to do it. And you can talk to the home inspector mm-hmm. or bring your own inspector to review this, uh, this, mm. uh, this agreement, sorry, this, this report. And then you can give me a cleaner offer. Mm-hmm. So you've closed deals. What I want to understand and for the audience, as David Chanelli, have you ever been burned on a deal? Hell yeah. Yeah. It happened last year. What's, what's been deal. the biggest burn in your career so far? I would say the burn that I got uh, was something recently that a coworker or a colleague of mine, which I was helping, screwed me on a deal. Mm. That's what burns. It's not It's not like the, the, the listing, the, the No, owner. it wasn't something like that. So what it's happened? internal. It was. It's it, internal. Someone's burning internally. Yeah, well, it was kind of like that because we, so I had brought this individual into the office. She was a new agent, and I I actually gave her a deal. I didn't want to double end a deal. I gave her a deal, so she made like ten thousand dollars by showing her property one day. Um, if she listens to this podcast, she'll probably know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, and then, long story short, I had a client which we were had mutual friend, and I was showing this guy properties for a couple of years. Is but this is during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of uh, there was a couple of issues that happened there like his wife wasn't sure about uh, her job and he wasn't sure about his the money flow wasn't there and he came back to me and we're like okay like oh we want to see a couple of properties so we ended up putting offer on a property we got in a bidding where we were second place because we were at a, at a certain value like mm-hmm. it was under 1.6 million dollars and he was like you know like i can't even get to the one six we lost it by twenty thousand dollars okay no big deal it happens right all of a sudden, the next uh, within like the next week, all of a sudden, I see this colleague of mine, and she had posted something in my backyard, like like street over for me, and she had sold this property. Like, oh, congratulations, to my clients! I'm like, I actually walked to this property, and I was like, oh, so it was an interesting home. I'm like, hey, congratulations! It was a weird kind of response she gave to me, and I was like, oh yeah, 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 we did well in this neighborhood, blah blah blah. Five minutes later, I got a phone call from my client, and he's like, oh yeah, by the way, uh, we were the ones that bought that with her. I'm like. What do you mean? Like yeah. you were my client. <laughs> so because it was over a two year span, we didn't have something formally signed. And even if it was signed, it was just because we were on and off, on and off. But there mm-hmm. was and for technically because I put an offer in the week before, mm-hmm. I actually had a working agreement with him. I could have gone back and sued her for it. Mm-hmm. because I, but she burned a bridge for twenty thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars. And I was helping her as a new agent. And I was like, so she burned me for like which I could have helped her immensely for the rest of her career. Now she's dead to me in my mm-hmm. well, not dead, but she's she's basically in, in the business world, there's not a chance I would ever help her ever mm. again. And I love helping people. That's yeah. the thing is my whole thing is if you ask me for any help, you ask me for anything, I'll open the doors. Like there's nothing I won't give you mm-hmm. unless you do something which you know was wrong. And I know she knows it's wrong. It's the last, we were at a party recently and she wouldn't even come and look at me. She wouldn't look me in the eye. Mm. She kept running away. And I'm like, so she knows what she did was wrong. Yeah. And you know, that's interesting too, right? Because the real estate, it's such a community, right? Yeah. Every agent knows every agent. Like there's, how many agents are in the GTA, would you say? Uh, about 60,000, I think, at 60, this point. 60, 65, something like that. Right. And it's, even it's a 60,000 number, it can still feel like a small club because if you're in the GTA era, you know who's who from like everything. How does one come back from like a bad reputation as an agent? Can you rebuild it? Does it take time? It or? takes time. I, I've yeah. seen uh, there, the problem is that sometimes when people get a bad reputation in this business, it just carries along with you. Mm-hmm. There are there are some agents in here we all know about that have a bad reputation and we don't want to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, sometimes some of the clients still hire them. We have to deal with them, but we begrudgingly deal with them. But we're, we tell our clients, and I've told my clients, there's a couple of ones in this neighborhood, mm-hmm. which we know that they're they're not great agents, that we know that they're doing some 
scandalous things. And as soon as there's the first sign of the new something, my clients pulled out like mm. over and over again. And there's one big name in here too, which everybody knows her name that she's not she. in the up and up. And I'm not saying her name, but she's not always in the up and up. And mm. we're like, even my clients will see her name and they're like, I don't even want to go look at this property. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. But it's I'm, hard. It, yeah. But most of the time, the problem is I think some realtors aren't self-aware that they realize other people know this about them or some just don't care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I find is brutal. Like, Because yeah. business, especially like when you're working in client services, like your reputation is like everything. It takes years to build it up, but at one second, it can just be tarnished with yeah. just one bad move. The problem I find with a lot of realtors is that when it comes to the art or when it comes to negotiating sometimes with them, they put themselves in front of their clients. Well, I couldn't sell this property. I can't show my face in this area mm -hmm. again. Like, why are you putting yourself in front of your client? Your client should be your number one goal. I don't give a shit about you. I care about your client and my client that they get the deal. We should be totally not even in this conversation. We're just there to facilitate a deal. Mm -hmm. And I find that that is a big problem is ego in this, in this business. Mm -hmm. You know, as we work towards wrapping up, um, share with us three mindset tips that has given you the foundation to becoming a top agent thus far. You mean like things I do every day or just talk about myself? Like anything, anything that helps you like achieve the success mm -hmm. or wake up every single day and go in after and get it and get it. Even though sometimes yeah. things can be looking bleak yeah. week in, week out. Well, the first thing is like, yeah, what you're saying, they're waking up every single day and mm -hmm. doing, putting yourself on a set schedule. Mm -hmm. That helps you figure out what you need to do on a daily basis. It helps get a, rid of all the noise that happens on there thinking about yourself. That's 100% mm -hmm. what I would say. The second thing is always going to do is like, again, put your ego aside mm -hmm. and realize that you're helping people with their lives. This, mm -hmm. is, this, is, this is bigger than you. Mm -hmm. This is bigger than you. And... So I find that when you're helping other people, it's all about helping them. That's that should be your goal. Yeah. And then obviously the third thing is like helping. It's all again helping other people as well, helping other realtors. Mm -hmm. And I think those three things. So keeping your set schedule, helping your clients, but help other realtors too, and that helps the business. Mm -hmm. Because once you do those three things, it, it takes the, your ego out of all of that. It's no longer about you. Your schedule is your schedule. Mm -hmm. Your clients are your clients. And helping others as well that, 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 that would be three huge things i would take that mm -hmm. does that make sense amazing well ladies and gentlemen you've been tuned in to the dc talks podcast you know we have david chelly i'm david's co-host owen osende if i did not introduce myself in the beginning um dave first podcast in the books yeah buddy how does how does it feel to get your first show Oh, it was pretty good. I didn't know what to expect, to be honest with you. I've never done a podcast. Well, I've done one podcast like with another realtor. I sat on the couch and mm -hmm. wasn't like this. I didn't know what to say. Like, yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of, <laughs> I, hope, I hope somebody gets uh, a little tidbit here and there. But yeah. Amazing. Like, uh, it yeah, it was I, great. I yeah, so we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you then. Mm -hmm.